Welcome to Sports History 101, a production of the Saints Sports Network. Hello and welcome into this episode of Sports History 101. It's another one with me, your host, Ray Delgado. This week, I know we took a, took a week off or so, but this week we're back and we are going to be talking about Baltimore Colts, now the Indianapolis Colts, great Mr. Johnny Unitas. John Constantine Unitas was born on May 7th, 1933, and was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He had a rough childhood, as when he was just five years old, his poor father died of pneumonia in 1938, which left his mother Helen to raise four children, including Johnny. However, she was a pretty tough lady, and along with taking over the family's coal delivery business, a fitting enterprise for the city of Pittsburgh, if you know anything about it, she also picked up work on the side of that to support the family, like cleaning offices or accounting. seemed like she was a pretty smart lady to be able to do all of those things, and a saint, really, to be able to raise four children as well. Unitas and his siblings also had to work, though, and they worked pretty hard to help the family, earning a quarter, 25 cents, for shoveling two tons of coal into a neighbor's cellar. So hard work, not a whole lot of money, but you had to do it because that's how the family got by. He was slight of frame when he was a kid, undersized in both height and weight for what you would think of as an athlete and what you would you know, if you've heard the legacy of Johnny Unitas, you wouldn't expect he was a tiny, scrawny little kid when he was young. But that didn't stop him from playing sports. As at an early age, he was an excellent dribbler in basketball and was pretty well coordinated, pretty well could handle himself. If you know anything about the adult Johnny Unitas, he was quite similar as a kid. I don't assume that many people have seen Johnny Unitas play that are listening to this, but hey, you never know. But he was very stoic and was also quite shy when he was away from the court or the field or wherever he was basically doing anything athletic. Only in small groups of very close friends was he a real joy to be around. In large groups, he would remain quiet and stay detached, but in small groups, he was fun. His small group personality must have been what swayed his girlfriend, Dorothy Hole, H-O-E-L-L-E, not really sure how to say that, to go out with him. Has to have, because if she had met the uh, quiet, detached person that sat in the corner, didn't talk to anybody, I don't think she would really be that attracted. But he won her over somehow. And <laughs> that was despite the fact that he didn't really ever want to do a whole lot. On many Friday nights, there were school dances to which Dorothy wanted to go, naturally. Johnny, however, had absolutely no interest, but did his duty of picking up Dorothy and one of her friends, dropping them off, and then waiting in the parking lot for a couple hours till they were done. He didn't like dancing or crowds, but he felt it necessary to escort his girlfriend to the dances. You know, it was, it was the right, it was the upstanding thing to do. He just didn't really want to do it himself. 
In high school, he joined the football team and played halfback as the kid that was still too short and too skinny. Before his junior season, Unitas' high school coach, Max Carey, got tickets to the Browns-Eagles game in September of 1950, which was the season opener in Philadelphia and Unitas' first professional football game. Pretty cool stuff. Take your your, uh, high school coach to take you to an NFL game. Carey could see the potential in Unitas and helped him to develop skills that would eventually lead to Unitas being named an all-city quarterback after replacing the starter early in the season. And he was named all-city, besting the local power at St. Cecilia's, which was another school nearby, their quarterback, Dan Rooney. Rooney, if you might uh, find that name familiar, was the Art Rooney, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. At... 5'11 and 145 pounds, Unitas once again was an all-city quarterback as a senior. But, I mean, literally just given those numbers, 5'11, not short, but definitely not tall, and 145 pounds, definitely skinny. All those signs pointed to his football career ending after high school. Colleges, by and large, were simply not interested He went for a tryout at Notre Dame, but they said he was too small. Indiana kind of toyed with offering him a scholarship, but then decided against it. Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, actually extended Unitas a scholarship, but then he failed the entrance exam. So that was the end of that, too. The only school of real stature that was interested in him, and presumably what he could pass their entrance exam, was the University of Louisville. So Johnny Unitas packed up his things and was off to Louisville, Kentucky in 1951. Unitas fit in as the backup quarterback, but five games into his rookie season, the starter went down and Johnny U's name was called. Johnny U was a nickname that he, I wasn't able to find actually when he got that nickname, but pretty simple to figure out how he got it. Johnny U Unitas, but that's what he was known. So anyway, his number was called, and trailing 19-0 against St. Bonaventure, which is another college, Unitas entered his first collegiate game and completed 11 consecutive passes. And actually, as an aside, he threw 78 passes to start his career without an interception, which is pretty awesome. So he threw 11 consecutive passes, three of those for touchdowns, on a rainy windswept day. St. Bonaventure would eventually go on to win the game with just a last-second field goal, but Unitas had made his abilities known. Led by Unitas, the Cardinals would then go on to win their next four games, the most notable being a 35-28 victory over Houston, in which they were 19-point underdogs going into the game. One of the most iconic plays of Unitas' Louisville career happened in that game. On their own eight-yard line in the fourth quarter, Unitas dropped back on third down after two very unsuccessful run plays. With pressure in his face, he sidestepped two oncoming rushers and lofted a pass to Babe Ray, one of his receivers, who ran for a 92-yard touchdown. What a way to uh, 
make your statement as a freshman. Then as a sophomore in 1952, Unitas threw for 12 touchdowns, leading his team to a 41-14 victory over Florida State, but just three wins against five losses for the year. So all in all, not a great year, but still successful in terms of the scrawny backup quarterback that he was supposed to be. When his junior year rolled around, Johnny Yu had a decision to make. Fifteen players had been dismissed from the university due to an academic scandal, which left the Cardinals with a depleted roster. Indiana surfaced, once again, as a possible transfer location, but upon further consideration, he decided to stay at Louisville, remembering, I don't know if you remember, but remembering that Indiana had shunned him in the past. They had some interest and then lost it before uh, Johnny went to college, and he did not like that. But, unfortunately, because of that depleted roster, his last two seasons in Louisville were quite unimpressive. However, United still continued to show his skills and abilities, but one man does not a team make, as the Cardinals managed to just four total wins in those last two years he was there. And with that mediocre record, there was naturally zero buzz around Johnny Unitas with professional scouts. Entering the 1955 NFL draft, Unitas was nowhere near one of the marquee players. He actually had a verbal agreement with a Cleveland assistant, Dick Gallagher, that if Unitas was available in the later rounds, the Browns would draft him. Instead, however, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, decided he was worth the pickup and drafted the hometown kid in the ninth round. An ideal situation for Unitas, as he would be close to his now wife, Dorothy, the high school girlfriend that he managed to sway, and his family in Pittsburgh. He would report that summer, but the situation would not work out according to plan. We'll take a quick break and get into that. In the summer of 1955, Johnny Unitas reported to training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers in Olean, New York. Right from the start, the situation was not ideal. The veterans banded together, as one would expect. The guys with more experience, you know, would get together and haze the young guys. Each player got what they were called their daily whites, which were socks, a t-shirt, shorts, and a support worn under their practice uniform. When Unitas asked the trainer for his, he was told to rummage through a large pile on the floor and look for them. Then once practice was over, players hung those whites on a hook by their locker, hoping that they would be dry before the afternoon practice started. When Unitas asked to get his ankles taped, which is very common practice now, must not have been then, but still definitely a thing, he has to get his ankles taped before practice and was told that players don't get taped unless they're hurt. A very welcoming environment 
that allowed for players to reach their full potential and get all of the necessary help. The Steelers head coach, Walt Kiesling, himself didn't like Unitas. The rosters back then were 33 players, and Pittsburgh only wanted to carry three quarterbacks. Jim Finks was the starter. Ted Marchabroda was the backup. And rookie Vic Eaton was looked at as a third-string quarterback. Unitas wasn't looked at at all. And after five exhibition games, they played a really long, I don't know if you'd really call it preseason, because it wasn't necessarily regimented in terms of every team plays this many games, but it was, I guess, exhibitions beforehand. After five exhibition games, Unitas had never seen the field. Art Rooney, the Steelers' owner, had sons, Dan and Tim, who were involved in team operations. They both absolutely loved Unitas and his abilities, mainly his accuracy. Their opinions, however, did not matter. And on September 5th, three weeks before the season was even to start, Unitas was cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers without ever even getting a real chance. He wasn't even looked at or considered by anybody. He was given bus fare back home, but decided to save the money and hitchhike. And this is really a bummer. Upon his arrival at home, his wife, Dorothy, welcomed him, probably super excited, probably like, hey, look, look how awesome this is. Welcomed him with news that she had bought tickets for their families to see the Steelers opening game the next week. Probably just like gut-wrenching for him. And you can only imagine he just kind of just kind of was like, well, um, I'm not part of the team anymore. And they just kind of sit there silently for a little while. Like, um, what do we do now? Well, shortly after hearing the news, Unitas's old head coach from high school, Max Carey, had himself an idea. Otto Graham, the Brown star quarterback for many years, Otto Graham, I don't actually know if he's a Hall of Famer or not. If he's not, he very well should be because he was basically the, the quarterback of the decade in the 50s and into the 60s as well. Well, he had just retired and Cleveland was in dire need of a quarterback. The powerhouse Cleveland Browns really needed a quarterback. Carey persuaded Unitas to send a letter to the head coach, Paul Brown, saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm a quarterback. If you need a quarterback, you know, uh, I'm here. Why don't you come let me try out? Brown answered not too long after, and much to Unitas' disappointment, I would imagine, Brown said that he had managed to get Graham to come back out of retirement for one more year. So they didn't actually need a quarterback right now, but Unitas was welcome to attend training camp the next July. So there was light at the end of the tunnel, and that was what Johnny Unitas set his sights on. He got a job with a construction company in Pittsburgh and spent the next months as part of a road construction crew laying the foundation for a mill. On Thursday nights, he would drive to a dirt field 
next to Arsenal Street School and suit up as a member of the Bloomfield Rams, which were a semi-professional team playing in the Steel Bowl Conference. And each player made $6 a game. The Baltimore Colts had started play in 1953 and after just one year had fired their head coach and hired Webb Eubank. The team turned in a respectable 5-6-1, so 5 wins, 6 losses, and 1 tie record in 1955 and were looking forward to the 56th season. During the fall of 1955, Eubank received a postcard from an anonymous person saying, quote, there's a boy in Sandlot Ball down here playing for the Bloomfield Rams who's worth looking at. His name's John Unitas. Eubank, by no means, as you would imagine, by no means rushed over to Pittsburgh to see Unitas, but he mentioned the name to his general manager, Don Kellett, as, hey, add him to the list. The starter for the Colts was set as George Shaw was coming off of a Rookie of the Year season. But when Gary Kerkorian, it's probably how you, spell that, how you say that, the backup quarterback decided to retire and go to law school, the general manager, Kellett, was on the hunt for a new quarterback. In 1956, in February of that year, Kellett made the call and called the Unitas House. And Dorothy picked up. Kellett asked for Johnny, but she said he wasn't home from work yet. So he said, okay, thank you. I will call back later. Kellett then called back later in the evening when Johnny was home and he answered. And he was invited to work out for the Colts. And if he was up to snuff, if the team liked what they saw, he would be invited to training camp. And then on top of that, if he made the team, he would be offered a $7,000 contract. Huge, huge opportunity. Awesome, you know, chance to play football. That's what Johnny Unitas wanted to do. He didn't want to be a construction worker. He wanted to play football, and he was pretty dang good at it. Unitas showed up for his tryout. By this time, he was six foot one and around 190 pounds. A lot of that growth and girth uh, happened while he was in college. And I'm sure it probably didn't hurt him play doing uh, construction and whatnot. And he impressed Baltimore enough to get an invite to their training camp in July. He now had two offers to attend training camp, one in Baltimore and one in Cleveland. Figuring he had a better shot with only one proven quarterback in Baltimore and the fact that the Colts had been a lot more intentional with their communication he decided to head to Baltimore. And with that decision, the futures of two NFL franchises were altered heavily as the Browns started to go down and the Colts started to go up. From day one, everything felt different in the Colts camp versus the Steelers camp. Unitas actually felt welcome and enjoyed being there. He was met at the airport by rookie Dick Nyers, who took him to the Colts' offices, and then they got a ride to camp, which was in West Win Westminster, Maryland. When he was suiting up for practice, his whites were rolled up and waiting by his locker. 
when the veterans arrived to camp, days after the rookies and the new signees did, they brought an atmosphere of learning and helping. If a new player wanted some help or to learn something of the veterans that they knew, they were willing to teach and willing to help. Even though he was now a decent size, his figure and demeanor did still not still didn't look as though he was someone to be feared on the football field. He looked like he didn't belong, and the Giants, who were facing the Colts in 1956 in a preseason game, thought so as well when they saw him trotting awkwardly out onto the field. However, they soon noticed that he could more than get the job done. Aside from being a competent field general, as quarterbacks are called, as shown by his formants in the blue and white scrimmage, which is the Colts scrimmage, inter-team scrimmage, so half the team suits up in blue, the other team in white, and they play each other. He captained the white squad to scoring three touchdowns and then switched jerseys because the game was getting a little out of hand and rallied the blue squad to tie the game at 2020. Unitas also had the unteachable qualities like that of being absolutely fearless. With defenders in his face, he always stood strong and delivered his pass at the last instant without flinching. Hindsight, that might have been the reason why he had a lot of injuries in his career, because he was always willing to take the hit, basically. He also had a way of rolling his shoulders one way and then rolling them back to his true target to fake out the defense, basically a lot more effective than a pump fake. And it was something unique to Unitas and took a certain kind of loose coordination that no one else in the Colts camp could do. And the Colt and the Colts coaches really wanted everyone to emulate that because it worked really well. In Colts camp, Unitas alone wasn't the only one who was impressive. I mean, George Shaw, for one, the starting quarterback, was impressive. But uh, on the offensive side of the ball, aside from them, Raymond Berry was very much a polished, well, just well-rounded player and emerged as Baltimore's number one receiver pretty quickly. He said he was very highly polished and practiced and he was probably the first to develop a series of habits and lifestyle choices that a lot of players, if not like the majority of players, do now. Basically putting yourself on a strict schedule, like going to bed every night at 8.30 to ensure you get enough sleep. Barry would carry a football everywhere to enhance his feel for the ball and gain the finger dexterity and just how the ball would feel in his hands at all times. And he also developed... 88 moves to evade and get free of defenders. Just little things, little body movements that would get him free, fool a defender, do something to be able to make him open enough to catch a football. In their first training camp together, Unitas and Barry immediately came together. And it was commonplace to see the two of them working on the field well after the rest of the team had left. That matchup would be an important one, and the two of them would help Baltimore to much success as the years progressed. Take a quick break. 
The Baltimore Colts opened the 1956 season versus the Chicago Bears. Starter George Shaw threw two touchdowns, and running back Alan Amakey scored twice with a 28-21 win. A nice, solid start to the season. The Colts then lost their next two games before playing the Bears once again, this time in Chicago. After jumping out to a 20-7 lead, Shaw went down after being sacked, and Unitas came in in relief for his first real snaps of the season. He had had a couple, a couple snaps here and there in the first few games, but these were his first real ones that mattered. His first handoff was fumbled and picked up by Chicago, which led to a touchdown. And then when the Colts got the ball back, the first pass that he threw was intercepted and returned for a touchdown. All in all, it was a very poor day for Unitas, as Baltimore eventually lost 58-27. to In his first start, though, Unitas performed much better the next week, throwing for two touchdowns and leading his team to victory over the Green Bay Packers. In that victory, head coach Webb Eubank noticed immediately that Unitas looked like he was in charge of the team and garnered the respect from his teammates to be able to lead them, which is huge. You can try and lead people, but if you don't have the respect that they're going to listen to you and trust you, then it doesn't work. But immediately, Johnny Unitas was able to to garner that from his teammates. On November 11th, 1956, Unitas led the Colts into Cleveland. Captaining the offense, Baltimore scored three times to win the game 21-7, which was their first win over the Browns in seven games, going all the way back to the AAFC, which is the All-America Football Conference, a rival league to the NFL, which we actually have an episode on. So it uh, started in the early 50s, and very interesting episode, very interesting league, and uh, what it did basically to shape the NFL. So go have a look at that one after you're done with this. So anyway, the Colts beat Cleveland, which was big. And from that point on, Johnny Unitas was the Baltimore Colts quarterback. Fortunately for George Shaw, he just wasn't there. He wasn't performing as well as Johnny Unitas was, probably because he was hurt and whatever, but Unitas had taken a hold of that team and he was not going to let it go. The next year, in his first full year as the starter, the Colts turned in the first winning season of their existence, finishing 7-5. and five. In 12 games, he threw for 2,550 yards, 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, which is kind of a scary number and also engineered three fourth-quarter comebacks, so he was clutch, no doubt about it. In 1958, everything started to come together for Baltimore. They opened the season at home with a win over the Detroit Lions, then rattled off five more wins, culminating with a 56-0 win over Green Bay to move to 6-0. But United went down with an injury after taking a shot to the torso. On November 9th, the Colts traveled to New York with United still out and in a hotly contested game, fell 24 to 21 to the New York Giants on a last second field goal to hand them the Colts their first loss of the season. Later on with United's back, 
Baltimore won two more games, but then dropped their final two regular season contests to finish 9-3, and three, respectable, but a little close for comfort. But eventually that turned out to be just enough to beat out the Bears and Rams, who finished a game behind at 8-4. and four. The 1958 NFL Championship game was to be played between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants. The Colts played poorly from the start, committing two turnovers and a blocked field goal. They managed to capitalize on a Giants turnover in the second quarter, scoring a touchdown to go up 7-3. Following another New York turnover, this one on the Baltimore 14-yard line, Unitas and company marched down the field methodically and scored on a pass to Raymond Berry, none other, to go up 14-3 at the half. Being completely outplayed and really ran circles around, the Giants came out of the second half in a frenzy and playing on their back foot, but the Colts let them back into the game with some really poor play. In the third quarter, New York quarterback Connerly threw a deep pass to Rote, his receiver, who fumbled the ball in the 25 after being tackled by a Colts defender. But unlucky for the Colts, another Giants player close behind picked up the ball and brought it all the way down to the one-yard line, which led to a touchdown. I think one play later. Then later on in the fourth quarter, the Giants scored once again to go ahead 17-14. In the second half, the Colts had basically done nothing on offense. They had had multiple possessions, all failures, nothing. Nothing was going right in basically the biggest game of all of their careers to this point. But down to the final minute 58 of the game, United and the Colts went to work with 86 yards to go on one final drive. Multiple completions to Barry and a couple others marched Baltimore down the field and led to a game-tying field goal, which sent the game to overtime, which was a huge deal because during the regular season, if you ended the game tied, it was a tie. There was no overtime. But playoff games couldn't be a tie. You couldn't have a tie. You couldn't have two NFL championship winners. So this was the first time that this had ever happened in the NFL. And it was a big deal because even the announcers, I believe it was broadcast on CBS, kind of said, okay, well, what do we do now? So it's pretty standard as you would find it now. There's a coin toss to determine who gets the possession and first to score wins. I know that's a little bit different than what the game is right now, but for our purposes, first to score wins. With Unitas spearheading the offense, and I believe they won that coin toss, the Colts marched down, scored a touchdown, and won their first NFL championship in what would come to be known as the greatest game ever played. Don't look that up specifically because you'll get a golf movie about Francis We Met, which is a very good movie, but that's not what we're talking about. The greatest game ever played is the 1958 NFL Championship game. And you can read some really cool stories about it. It was basically the first time that the NFL had 
garnered as much attention as it did first time that it was that that big a deal and that entertaining that you know would come down to a sudden death overtime. So it was it was huge for the sport. 1959 was another great year as Unitas continued to cement his legacy as just a fantastic quarterback. The Colts played a great year too. Team were 4 and 1 before a meeting with the Browns in which Unitas threw for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns, but Cleveland came out on top 38-31. After their second consecutive loss the next week against Washington, the Colts then won their next five games to close out the year 9-3 and and earned their second trip in a row to the championship game. The date was set for December 27th, and the opponent, none other than the New York Giants. The game was another hard-fought contest, but New York committed three turnovers and couldn't recover. It wasn't anywhere near as exciting as the game the year before. Unitas was his usual field general self, throwing for over 250 yards and two touchdowns, and also running for one in the 31-16 victory to make the Colts, Baltimore Colts, back-to-back NFL champions. By age 26, Johnny Yu was a two-time NFL champion, two-time first-team All-Pro, and led the league in passing yards twice and touchdowns three times. As time went on, Baltimore continued to be a successful team, captained by the awkward but infinitely effective Johnny Unitas. His next best season came in 1964 when he threw for 19 touchdowns and 2,800 yards to earn his third All-Pro distinction and a 12-2 record, which earned a spot in the championship game, which unfortunately they would lose. The 65 Colts finished 10-3-1, another great year, but lost the divisional round. Unitas himself personally turned in another All-Pro year, but was unable to play in the team's last three games because of a serious knee injury suffered against the Bears. So, very unfortunate there because had he been, I mean, he shoulda, coulda, woulda kind of deal, but had he been the quarterback for that divisional game or even the game before then, you know, those two games, would they probably would have gotten to the Super Bowl at the very least, or sorry, NFL championship at that point. An 11-2-1 season in 1970 was good enough to win the new AFC East. They had The league had expanded to where they now needed East and West divisions in each conference. You have the American Football Conference and National Football Conference, and they each had East and West divisions. So Baltimore Colts were in the AFC East, and they won that division with an 11-2-1 record, which is a great record. That set Unitas and the Colts up for a date with the Cincinnati Bengals, which they pretty easily took down 17-0. And then the next week in the conference championship, Baltimore took on the Oakland Raiders and beat them handily 27-17. Four years prior, the NFL championship game, or NFL championship, had been renamed to the Super Bowl. 
it's kind of funny now because we say, oh, teams like the Browns have never won the Super Bowl, but they've won NFL championships, and it's the exact same thing. It just has a different name. So it's pretty dumb, but that's just, that's just how it works now. Anyway, small digression. Four years prior, Super Bowl had been, or the game had been renamed to the Super Bowl. And in Super Bowl V, the 10-4 and four Dallas Cowboys were the opponents for the Baltimore Colts. Cowboys jumped out to an early six-point lead on two field goals, but Baltimore would not stay down for long as United threw a dime to John Mackey, who ran for 75 yards, easily a record in the title game at that time. I don't know where that stands now, actually. I should have looked that up. Later in the fourth quarter, the Colts scored again to even things up 13-13 without Unitas, who was injured late in the first half. With just five seconds to play left in the game and trying to avoid going to sudden death overtime, the rookie Colts kicker trotted out, took his stance, you know, did his little back up a few yards, back over, you know, step over a few yards, and put a field goal right through the uprights to win the Super Bowl. So that makes three. NFL championships, and a Super Bowl for Johnny Unitas. Injuries started to pile up for him, though. And now in his late 30s, Unitas was usurped by Earl Morrill. Morrill? Morrill? Not sure. M-O-R-R-A-L-L. If anyone has the correct way of saying that, let me know. He was usurped by Morrill, I'll call him, for the starting position in 1971. But that didn't stop Johnny U from showing up and showing that he still had it. As late in the season, he took over in the final five regular season games and won three to help get the Colts into the playoffs. At 38 years old, he could still get the job done. And in the first round of the playoffs, took down the Browns 20-3 before losing to the Miami Dolphins thereafter for a spot in the Super Bowl again. The next season, in 1972, Unitas played his last year in Baltimore, starting just five games, and was subsequently brought, or bought, excuse me, by the San Diego Chargers following the season. So number 19 was going to be wearing powder blue and gold, which which was weird for everybody. He played 17, 17 years with the Colts in the blue and white. Or the white and blue, I should say, because white's predominant color. And now he's going to San Diego to play for the Chargers. He played just five games for those San Diego Chargers before hanging it up due to a leg injury that rendered him largely immobile. He really couldn't move around in the pocket at all, couldn't, couldn't escape anything. He was kind of just a sitting duck. And the 40-year-old was quoted, presumably right after he retired, saying... If I could have gotten a leg transplant, I'd play for another 30 years. He just loved the game. There was no doubt about it. He loved the game, loved everything about it. And he played the game right. He was a good guy, good player, great teammate, everything. There really isn't much bad to say about Johnny Unitas. I'm sure someone didn't like him for some reason or whatever. But number 19 in his flat top and his kind of gawky, weird 
persona is one of the best best to ever play. And unfortunately, after those five games in San Diego, an 18-year career came to an end. But pretty fantastic one. He was a three-time NFL champion and one-time Super Bowl champion. He was a league MVP three times and was all pro five times. He was also a 10-time pro bowler and was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979. To throw some stats at you, at the time of his retirement, so that was in 1972, or I guess, yeah, after 1972, so 73 technically, I guess, is when these would take full effect. But anyway, stats, had the most pass attempts of anybody, most completions, the most yards gained, which was over 40,000, the most 300-plus yard passing games, which was 26, which is still quite a pretty good number. The most touchdown passes with 290. The most consecutive games with a touchdown pass, which was 47, which is still an unbelievable number. That was a record that was carried across four seasons from 1957 to 1960. 47 games, he had at least one touchdown pass, which is pretty extraordinary no doubt about it he led the league in touchdowns four different times he had the second longest running career with 18 years and he had the second most seasons with 3,000 or more yards passing with three all in all fantastic career I mean most basically all of those numbers have been surpassed by now but the game is so vastly different because back then It wasn't about the quarterback. Really, it started to become about the quarterback right when Johnny Unitas started getting big. He was really helpful in making the quarterback more or less the most important player on the field. Before then, it was a lot more about the running backs and a lot more about guys like Jim Brown and just fantastic players like that that could take over a game. So they didn't throw the ball as much as they do now, nowhere near as much. So like I said, most of these numbers have been passed and are not even close to being the top anymore. But that doesn't at all put down what his accomplishments were. After after 69 years on God's earth and countless awards, Johnny Unitas passed away on September 11th, 2002 in Towson, Maryland. Not far from Baltimore, Baltimore had become his home. He was basically immortalized in Baltimore and stayed in Maryland, and that's that's where he passed away. Johnny Unitas is regarded as one of the best players to ever play the game of football. For the 100th anniversary of the National Football League, of the league itself, they released a top 100 players of all time, and Unitas was named as one of the quarterbacks alongside many other fixtures at the top of football from all decades. Unitas was one of the earliest superstar quarterbacks of the league, not because of his personality or his antics, but because he was masterful on the gridiron for years and years, and everyone could see it. I do believe that is all we have on Mr. John Constantine Unitas.
fantastic name, by the way. Until next time, everyone, I hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening. Check out more content from the Saints Sports Network at saintsportsnetwork.home.blog.